This episode of the Device Docs Weekly Podcast is brought to you by our Medical Design and Outsourcing Magazine. We'll talk about many of the great articles we have in this month's issue. Go to medicaldesignandoutsourcing.com to download that issue. And please check back often for great news and analysis on the medtech industry. Go to medicaldesignandoutsourcing.com. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Podcast. This is Tom Salemi, and I'm being joined by the editorial team of Mass Device and Medical Design and Outsourcing. You're going to hear one very, very, actually three familiar voices, one more familiar voice. Chris Newmarker, you're back. Good to be here. And you're joined by your future placement, uh, Sean Woolley. And Daniel Kirsch. That's right. Sean, welcome back. And Daniel Kirsch, have you made your way to a, to a Trader Joe's yet? <laughs> uh, one. Once. And it was it a comfortable, leisurely fashion, or were you? We did you rush through COVID style? No, just did a whole, you know, in and out, ten minutes. Know exactly where I need to go, what I need. <laughs> we will, we will get there. We will, we will get to that point where you can spend the entire afternoon in, in Trader Joe's. They'll have cookie samples again. They'll have cookie samples again on top of barrels. I mean, it'll be great. It'll be, it'll be a blast. I, I, I do miss the samples. I, I still look for them too. It's like, what? Oh yeah, right. We don't do that anymore. They put them right by the register too. It was like, you know, you just you couldn't get out of there without getting a cookie. It's just, yeah. <laughs> well, we're not here to talk about samples. We're here to talk about many, many things medtech, including our uh, Women in MedTech issue, our Medical Design and Outsourcing magazine. The entire edition is focused on several important and influential women who are leaders in the medtech industry. Danielle, you worked on this effort with Nancy Crotty, the managing editor of Medical Design and Outsourcing, who unfortunately can't be on the call today. Just talk a bit about, uh, a little bit about the issue, what folks can uh, look forward to as they, as this arrives in their office, but they can also find it uh, an electronic version, which we'll all share on uh, on social media. Yeah. So the Women in MedTech issue is very focused on these women executives that are in the industry, you know, from some of the bigger OEMs, Medtronic, Stryker, Myth and Nephew. And then also I want, I like to focus on women innovators or women who are starting their own med tech companies because they found an issue and they wanted to address it. So, I mean, some of the things that I've learned this year, we heard from Patty Post, who as a mother of three, saw a need for at-home strep tests. So she wanted to make an at-home strep test and that's what she's doing right now. And then another woman wanted to start a company where she addressed the swelling that happens after abdominal surgery because she was an abdominal surgeon. She saw that was an issue. So those are some of the things that I like to focus on is just these women that find an issue and then fix it. And we'll be talking with, we'll be hearing from many folks. I'll be talking with Patty Post a little bit later for our, our opening keynote conversation. But uh, this collection of stories gives you, uh, I think, a great perspective and a, a great opportunity to uh, to take a hard look at the medtech industry. Any, any important takeaways that you want to share? Some of the things that I've found in my research of some of the 100 biggest medical device companies in the world is that only 20% of their executive roles are held by women. And that's just for 2020. In 2019, it was 18%. So it's it's up a little more. But 
it still it still needs work. And in in those companies, women only hold 19% of the positions within that company. So there's only 19% composition of women in executive roles. And last year it was 15. So it is trending more toward parity, but we still have a long way to go. I mean, when you think that 50% of the population is, is women and only a fifth of the top executives in our industry are, are women, that's uh, it's a big, big difference right now. And, and I, I recall, Danielle, how many, because oh, out of the 100 largest medical device companies in the world, um, how many have CEOs that are women? Only five companies have wow. female CEOs, and that would be Silk Road Medical, uh, Paul Hartman, GN Hearing, Insulate, and B. Braun. Wow, just five. So did you get any sense? Are things getting better? I mean, do we are we advancing in the industry? I think the data can kind of show that it's getting better. And I know last year when I data, I had one company in particular, not naming names, but they reached out to me and said, Hey, we have women in executive roles. Why didn't you include us? And because we use the information that is like publicly available on their website. Um, they came back and said, well, you've, you've really made us think about how we present ourselves as a company. And uh, I want to thank you for that. So we're going to keep this in mind moving forward. So I think the more we do stuff like that, it just, it, it just, sometimes you just need the push. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. We're making a difference, darn it. That's fantastic. I think that was the uh, the theme of a lot of interviews I, I listened to, and uh, we're going to draw some of the audio from that. They're they're if they're not pushing actively, they're pushing through the efforts that they're making. And I, before we get into that recorded audio, we're introducing a new feature to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. It's called the Two Minute Detox. This is an opportunity for companies of every kind, startups, service providers, whatever your story is, whatever you're doing in medtech, we want to give you a platform to share it with the world. So uh, it's an opportunity to. Present Present your story in two-minute segments within the podcast, and we'll follow it up each week so you'll have the opportunity to hit a broader audience. I won't give you any more details. I'll play the audio now, but uh, this is a great opportunity for uh, more folks and more voices to find their way in the podcast. Welcome to our new podcast feature, The Two-Minute Detox. Get it? Device Talks? Detox. Anyway, we created this segment to give medtech companies the opportunity to use our platform to tell their own stories in short two-minute chapters. We'll run an installment in each of our four episodes coming up so we can bring you even more important medtech stories in this podcast. This is sponsored content, but it's important content. I know you'll enjoy it. I'm thrilled that our first detalker is Jennifer Freed, the CEO of Explorer Surgical. In chapter one, Jennifer will tell us what Explorer Surgical is. Explorer is a digital playbook for the operating room that allows med device companies to offer consistency to the providers that are using their product. And there are three key pillars of our software product. The first part is a workflow. So we develop step-specific and role-specific best practices with our med device customers to allow HCPs to see that specific content visually in the room during a case and follow this best practices live. The second pillar of our product is data capture. So within our system, you're able to easily capture data, whether that is time-based data, how long people are spending on each step of the case, 
performance-based data, or other types of insights into what's actually happening in the room. And the third pillar of our system, which has picked up tremendously in interest in this era of COVID, is HIPAA-compliant audio-video. Pre-COVID, the vast majority of our customers were using our playbook and our data capture offerings in the room, and we have a rep or clinical specialist that's there on site. Now, through Explorer, you're able to use it in-person, remotely, or in a hybrid model, as we're seeing so many of our customers do, where you may have one local rep on site, but your clinical specialist or other team members aren't able to attend the case in person. Well, I hope you enjoyed that first segment of the Two Minute Detox. Jennifer Freed is terrific. We'll hear more from her in coming episodes. If you're interested in uh, telling your story on this podcast, just find me on LinkedIn and I'll uh, put you in touch with the right folks. Now I want to introduce our uh, opening keynote. I had an opportunity to have a a very quick conversation with one of our uh, subjects in the Medical Design and Outsourcing magazine. Danielle Kirsch actually spoke with Patty Post. Patty is the CEO of Checkable Medical. Patty and I have known each other for a few years, and it was great to see her move from uh, her career in medtech and sales into being the CEO of her own company. So I talked to her about that transition. Let's listen. This opening keynote conversation is brought to you by our Device Talks Tuesday's digital speaker series. Normally, we'll meet every 4 p.m. on Tuesday to hear from MedTech's leaders, but this coming Tuesday on November 3rd, we will not be holding a Device Talks Tuesdays. It is Election Day. We remind you to please vote. Now let's hear from our keynote conversation. Well, Patty Post, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's really great to be here, Tom. It's great to have you here. We've known each other for a few years, and uh, this is an exciting development for you. I, I remember being part of your earlier conversations where you were kind of floating an idea past some people and I got to be, I was fortunate of, to be one of the people you were sort of sort of just mentioning this idea and just to see that little conversation turn into a, a thriving startup is, is exciting. So congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was nine months that I called around to people and you were actually probably on my top 10, maybe five even. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my. I remember that conversation. I was walking in downtown Minneapolis on like a break walk. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to call Tom and ask him about this idea. That's awesome. Well, I'm flattered yeah. again. Thank you. Doubly flattered now. Well, I, I, that's kind of what I want to talk about. Just, we all have these moments in life where we are wondering whether we should take that leap. I know in your situation, you know, you, you, you had a job, the salary was important. You know, it was not nothing to walk away from it, mm-hmm. but you did. Like what, what was that point, that tipping point where you said, I got to do this? What was that like? And and how did you make that decision? Well, uh, you know, I took the nine months to talk to physicians, talk to industry folks, talk to regulators and really understand if this is something that's doable before. So I like was at the edge of the cliff looking over for a long time. Mm hmm. But I honestly, it was like a burning desire inside of me that I could not I couldn't muffle it at all. And it would get. Couldn't let it go. I couldn't let it go. I wake up in the middle of the night. It's the only thing that I wanted to talk about. I'm sure my family and friends were so annoyed with me, but it was, I couldn't put it down. And as I was, I was working for a firm and I was, I was working on other people's companies and I saw them doing things that one, it wasn't that exciting of product. And it was almost like, oh, let's do a Gen 4 and a color change, or let's let's have a new rolling cart. It's like, oh, this is so boring. I'm doing something that I have something to actually change people's lives. And I don't see anyone else doing it. Mm-hmm. Why don't I just do it? So I, I, 
I went to the edge of the cliff and I leaped. I never looked back. Elliot, that's awesome. Let's talk about uh, what it is that Checkable does. Tell us a little bit about Checkable. Sure. So uh, what we're doing is we're using uh, lateral flow diagnostics and bringing them through the clinical trial process for over-the-counter approval. So they can be um, used as a wellness benefit for self-insured employers uh, or uh, payers, and then ultimately be on retail shelves. And so anyone that has a symptom... um, can go to a store or go to Amazon and have it delivered to their house. So they don't have to sit around and wait and wonder if they have uh, you know, a common infectious disease that is spreadable. So we're starting with an indication of strep throat um, and we paired it with a digital platform. And the digital platform is super important because collecting a sample isn't as easy as, um, you know, breathing or, you know, taking a tissue and rubbing your skin, a surface, uh, we're, correct, we're collecting a pharyngeal sample or, you know, moving on to other indications. It will be um, a training platform that will show you how to collect the sample, how to run the test. And then we will um, take an image of a positive or negative. And if it's positive, we'll connect you with one of our telemedicine providers. So we're a digital health platform and we're a telemedicine platform. Um, wow. So we have essentially um, three products. COVID changed that a little bit. We actually took on a rapid antibody test and we are just finishing our clinical trial for uh, emergency use authorization of a rapid antibody test for at-home use. And that will be paired with our digital platform and telemedicine platform ultimately. Mm -hmm. So we are a four-product company now. That's outstanding. And I want to talk a bit about the, the process that you've gone through as a CEO. Uh, you reached out to me probably about two months ago. I had a connection to someone you wanted to connect with and I my connection was through someone else. So I checked with my connection to see if I can get that connection for you. And anyway, I got back to you and said, sorry, Patty, I, I can't get that for you. And I was so impressed that you emailed back. You're like, oh, that's fine. I'm already talking to the guy. <laughs> you just like completely yeah. didn't wait for me. You just kind of found another way to go around. And I think that's <laughs> the sign of a good CEO. What, uh, what has the past nine months been for you personally, I guess, and professionally? more professionally than personally, Mm -hmm. but how have you grown? What have you learned and how have you learned it? Mm -hmm. Well, I've been in sales my entire career. So I am very fortunate to have many experiences where I had to be um, extremely bold and extremely confident in just going after it when I know, when I have the end in mind and I know what that is that I want. I have no problem going after it. And I'm, I'm very brave in that where I have lacked is my confidence to lead. And because there are so many different chairs to fill in the company, um, from regulatory to quality, to clinical, to legal, I mean, it, really across the gamut, if you think of there's 12 different specialties, even that telemedicine piece and security. And so it's been the confidence that I have lacked in you know this year. And I am finding my way in through mentors and through processes that allow me to really understand the business. And that allowed me to lead, lead from behind. And before I think I was leading in front and being like, oh, I have mm-hmm. to be this cheerleader and I have to bring everyone together. I don't, I don't have to do that. And I also don't have to have a number two that I have to rely on. I was, I struggled with that. A number two person or number two plan? A number two person. Number two person. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and I just always looked at it as, oh, you know, they've done it before. So they, they mm-hmm. must know. And I, it comes to find out that no one knows 
my business better than me. Like, it sounds crazy, but I, I just, I woke up one day. I'm like, why do I keep relying on these other people? They're doing it wrong. Because in my mind, I already haven't made up, but I was, I was thinking they knew better. And you could tell that, um, yeah. you know, now that I'm taught, I have a lot of relationships like you and I, and they say, you know, I've seen a change. I see a change in how you communicate, how you're selling the company. And so I'm, I'm proud of myself for that because hard things have come out of that, like hard conversations with myself, uh, but it's been all for the good. And I have a lot of room to grow. I'm not saying by any means I figured it out. And that's, that's outstanding. No, I think this is, this past year has been a, an opportunity for a lot of us to, to grow quickly. And I, similar to you, I've, I know I've, I've in the past, I think I've tried to, I've had an idea and I just kind of wanted to get people to buy into it. We'd all move forward as a group. And then they weren't doing that. And I'd be like, yeah, I still think it's right. I'm just going to move forward. You guys catch up with me. And there's a point where you kind of have to do that. Mm -hmm. You have to say like, this is my decision to make. I'm making the decision. Mm -hmm. I believe it's right. And you move forward. Yeah. So I, that completely resonates with me. I don't usually ask this, but we had a little conversation before I pushed record. Uh, any any books you're reading recently that, that uh, sound interesting? You did mention one that I liked a lot. Yeah. Um, so the book is The Obstacle is the Way. Yep. And it is phenomenal. The stories that they have about there are really only two ways that we can go. You can, if you have something that's a barrier, you can go cry in the corner and feel sorry for yourself and you're going to give up ultimately. Mm -hmm. Or when you figure it out and you make do with nothing. And, and that's, I keep saying I make do with nothing because whether that is a lack of um, funds or a lack of team, if you don't have, you know, a subject matter expert there, you may do with that and, a lot of creativity comes out of that. And I think even um, to the company, because we couldn't, uh, we were running up against an early prototype that wasn't working out and it was going to end up being, the cogs were way too high. And it ended up that we were able to, and we didn't have enough money to hire like a huge team. They, it was like a $600,000 bill that came in or an in a quote. And we just figured it out ourselves. Mm -hmm. We just were like, okay, let's go out in the market and see what other people are doing. And that that's how I look at the, the obstacle is the way is if you have, if, if it's not going the way that you want, then you got to figure it out. And that's one of my mottos is always, it's everything is figure outable. We're not <laughs> like, don't be running around with your hair on fire. Like it's going to be yeah. okay. That's great. Yeah. So that's a t that's a t-shirt right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been this has been great to to reconnect. I'm very happy for you, and uh, can't wait to see what what checkable become. Thank you so much, Tom. It's really great to catch up. I'm glad that you and your family are doing well too. Thanks again to Patty Post for joining us on the Device Talks Weekly podcast. Now, let's uh, open those pages and, and look at some of those uh, interviews inside. Sean, you had the opportunity to interview a couple of very impressive people, uh, Katie Zyman of Edwards and uh, Naomi Murray of Stryker. Uh, let's talk about Katie Zyman first. Uh, what were what was the focus of your article or about her? You know, she came up through Medtronic. She was at Medtronic for over two decades in the accounting background. And within the last, I believe it was six years ago, she switched over to Edwards Life Sciences to run their uh, critical care business. So we, we kind of delved into what Edwards is doing in that space. A lot of AI algorithms, things like that for patient monitoring to basically take it out of the physician's hands and, and, and allow for more innovation in that space. And uh, talked about how she's trying to bring that business forward. Obviously, Edwards is such a big player in the Taver space that uh, critical care might take the backseat to that. But we discussed what she's doing to, to bring critical care to the fore. Other than that, 
how she's she was tagged by their CEO as someone to help run uh, an employee resource group for women at Edwards. Um, and yeah, how he's kind of helping women move forward in the space too. That was E.now, right? Edwards Network of Women, I believe. He's also worked to... Uh, encourage elementary school, middle school age girls uh, to get into STEM as well. So she's trying to help the younger generation move towards that too. That's great. Yeah. I think she said he now had grown from 200 women to 2,700 or so women. So, but in this comment from that interview though, we'll, we'll focus on uh, critical care and artificial intelligence. So let's hear this, uh, this portion of that interview. As the general manager of the critical care business in Edwards, we are focused on um, critical care monitoring technologies. And so we monitor patients um, that are critically ill, whether they're in the ICU or in high-risk surgical situations. So high-risk surgeries that may be more than three three hours long, we will be monitoring the patients. And we do hemodynamic monitoring. And so about a third of our business is focused on the ICU. And so we've been very involved in COVID, treating COVID-19 patients and monitoring these patients to try to help them um, to get better. And then about half of our business is in um, monitoring high-risk surgeries. And in that area, we're doing something called smart recovery, where we're tr- applying artificial intelligence and predictive algorithms to help clinicians make better decisions and kind of prevent issues from happening for patients. Given that Edwards is such a big player in the valve space, you know, my, my grandfather a year ago had a uh, sapien implanted. It's just... You're it's, kidding. That's fantastic. Wow. It's, it's everywhere. You know, being in a different space at the same company, you know, you know what, what are you trying to do to bring critical care forward? So critical care is almost 20% of Edwards revenues, and we're really focused on kind of being that window to digital health for Edwards. So if you think about like when a patient gets a valve, they need to be monitored. And over time, you can envision there's, you know, less and less invasive ways to monitor patients and help to um, reduce the length of stay and reduce complications that patients would have, even whether it's for their valve surgery. And so we try to be linked as much to the valve businesses and um, enable, you know, patients to recover faster on the valve side of the business. And then really the platform for us for growing in the future is around smart recovery. So continuing to advance in remote monitoring, in artificial intelligence algorithms to continue to to improve advanced monitoring so that we can improve patient care. Okay, we're growing. So you look at critical care, we're growing in the high single digits, so call it you know, our average growth rate for the last four or five years has been uh, probably around seven-ish percent. And that's pretty, you know, excluding this year, which is the COVID year, obviously. Mm-hmm. But even this year with COVID, we're probably going to be, you know, maybe zero to negative five percent growth. So still, you know, holding up pretty strong throughout COVID-19. So we look to be, we, you know, our industry grows at about three percent in terms of overall patient monitoring as a sector. So growing in the high single digits, we're growing almost twice the rate of the industry. And uh, we're doing that by continuing to invest, as I said, in artificial intelligence algorithms and then in remote monitoring in the future. Is there anything, you know, in terms of that remote monitoring or AI-based technology that might be we can get excited about uh, coming from Edwards in the future? Yeah, so, you know, the biggest thing that we have is we were the first company to get an artificial intelligence or a predictive algorithm approved through the FDA in 2018, I believe. 
so we're in the process and that algorithm is called hypotension prediction so it's predicting severe low blood pressure events about five to ten minutes in advance to help clinicians to take action ahead of time to prevent that event from happening and so our you know that's probably the you know best example that you could use of an of our AI technologies which is you know the first approved AI algorithm in the monitoring space for hypotension prediction. All right. Well, those are some great comments from Katie Zyman of Edwards. And uh, Sean, you also had the opportunity to speak with Naomi Murray from Stryker. She's a very impressive person. I know I'd love to get her as a speaker at a future device talks. I know I'm told that she puts on a, a great presentation about the, the future of this very interesting space. What were some of the uh, takeaways from your conversation with her? And then we'll run a clip from that interview that you did. Yeah, it was really interesting to, to speak with her. She's been working in additives for 20 some odd years Um and kind of bringing this into the space, which obviously Stryker is big into orthopedic implants. So, you know, she's working with trying to help, like she, as she described it, help the industry evolve um, and meet some of the demands that manufacturers are, are starting to get. She's looking to find ways to reduce costs by using additive, 3D printing, all that, um, and create more design freedom. And she talks about how she can... Uh, you know, going into surgical orthopedics, you know, robotic surgery, there's all kinds of different applications of, of the technology. And uh, she, she definitely speaks very well on the subject. She's like I said, she's been doing it for 20 years or so. So she, she knows her stuff about additives for sure. Yeah, it's a really interesting subject. I know Strikers, I recall they've been kind of a pioneer in, in 3D printing ortho implants. So it's kind of cool that we can get to hear a bit of her perspective here about it. That's a great point, Chris. Let's uh, let's roll the tape of uh, Naomi Murray of Stryker. I, I think in additive, there are there are some clear spaces uh, to watch, like just in general in the industry. Um, additive is a great technology, right? It fills it fills the spot for some really super design freedom that comes out of it. Um, certainly with our titanium technology, um, you know, it, it's a wonderful design design opener, design freedom opener uh, to be able to, to manipulate that that um, porous uh, metal titanium technology. Um, I, I think that as the industry, the additive industry continues to evolve, its customers are going to demand equipment manufacturers to start, you know, having some new capability that maybe they don't have today and that does things like when you make an additive part, there's still surface finish roughness defects issues and I don't mean defect in that the product is defective but you have a surface finish that sometimes you have to remove uh, to get to your tolerances we're going to start demanding you know that there's uh, there's there's more near net shape coming out of that which should eliminate um, uh, and reduce maybe post-processing should reduce cost which opens up the the design freedom even more to being used in more uh, products the, the other thing that I'd say is that we you know the space changes rapidly and we have a lot of technology just in general that is out and about and we've I think just scratched the surface on things like the combination of additive with um, Stryker's Soma technology or robotic surgery where you're you're able to really affect both the, the design of the implant to be best fit for your population but also you can really look at your procedure space. I guess I'm going a little bit into orthopedics, but just in general in surgery, looking at your procedure space and some pretty cool changes that you could have that marry design with your procedure through robotics and additive. Uh, that's a pretty exciting space, I think, coming up. 
All right, it was great to hear from those folks from our Women in MedTech issue of Medical Design and Outsourcing. Once again, the issue is out. It's available. It's available in digital format. We'll all post it on our social media channels. So if you're not connected to us, we'll tell you how to do that at the end. And uh, I know you'll enjoy reading those interviews. All right, well, I should have mentioned this up at the top. I know folks are just probably pulling their hair out of the head wondering, where are new markers newsmakers who are the top five stories of mass device so uh we do have chris newmarker here with the the list of the most powerful and most read about uh companies in medtech but first we have a new new markers newsmaker sound oh my gosh tom you turned into a werewolf right in front of my eyes yes let's cue the thriller music video and we'll uh and we'll scare the bejesus out of everyone on this podcast anyway enough of our our hijinks it is the season it's a it's a fun-sized candy buzz i'm telling you i'm holding a fun-sized snicker i've already dipped into the candy supply even though it's not even halloween yet hey open up a pumpkin beer now tom we're gonna do the new markers newsmakers so let's not go there all right the number five we've got a uh we've got a federal appeals of court revived former Abbott employees age discrimination uh, suit. Uh, one of the things they cited was uh, an executive at Abbott supposedly saying that she was told to, to manage out older workers. So uh, so a uh, age uh, discrimination suit against Abbott is alive again after a federal appeals of court uh, ruling. Um, and that was written by Nancy Crotty, who is not with us at the moment. But number four. Number four, we've got Intuitive Surgical is launching a $100 million dollar venture capital fund so good news for people who want to innovate in the space we got some uh, intuitive surgical money out there now too so it'll be great and that's written by a young man called <laughs> as by sean hooley all right way to go I, th- I think i know that guy yeah guys i'm right here Let me please <laughs> yeah you're right there oh yeah that's right yeah Sean's right here. Yeah. So, uh, so we've got, um, it was a good story. Good story. Well read. We are going to, uh, just as, as an aside, I'm going to have the principles of, uh, of the venture fund on next week's uh, Device Talks Weekly podcast. So people have, people have that to look oh, forward great. to. Number three. Number three on the list is, is that uh, Siemens uh, had a uh, x-ray system gain uh, FDA clearance. This is called the uh, uh, YSOX Pre. And this includes an Intel... An, My exam companion intelligent user interface. Yes, there we go. Providing proactive guidance to help uh, technologists of any skill level navigate a radio ad- radiography uh, procedure. So uh, this was uh, this was another one by Nancy Crotty. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, number... So number two on the list, um, this is just hot off the presses, but uh, Baxter has had a... Uh, uh, there, there was word out of FDA about an announcement from Baxter about a, a serious infusion pump uh, recall. Um, you know, Baxter told us actually that, you know, that they've been, um, you know, the alert, the alert's been out for months, but, you know, it just got posted on the FDA side. FDA just labeled the uh, the recall as uh, class one, its most serious level. But this involves, uh, you know, like, you know, problems with uh, improper cleaning of uh, Sigma spectrum infusion pumps. And they are properly cleaned according to the directions. Uh, there can be problems around the batteries that cause corrosion. Um, you know, there could be uh, problems with the pumps shutting off. You know, they have reports of like uh, 16 serious injuries around this. And, you know, the recall involves, uh, you know, 306,000, you know, Baxter uh, Sigma Spectrum infusion pumps. So, I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a, it's a sizable recall and, you know, it's, it's basically telling anybody who's got these things that they should be uh, cleaning them properly and taking some other precautions when, when using them. 
That is written by me, but and then but you know our number one on our list is uh, is by none other than uh, Danielle Kirsch. It's our uh, annual our annual roundup of uh, the largest medtech employers and what their employees really think, and and we uh, we uh, kind of hinted what their employees think by uh, going on to Glassdoor and uh, doing a nice uh, nice nice roundup of uh, you know postings from current former employees. Like some of the pros, some of the cons. Um, this is part of our uh, big 100 project that we do every year that examines the largest 100 medical device companies in the world. And Danielle's in charge of this. I mean, Danielle, tell people a little bit. I mean, this is like, I mean, this is like a lot of research that you do behind this. Yeah, big 100. Just we go through hundreds of uh, 10Ks annual reports from uh, publicly traded medical device companies in the world, look at their revenue, their R&D spending, their employee count. And then we just kind of culminate that all together to figure out which companies have made the most money in the last year. Yeah, but we're, we're in the process now of finalizing our, our spreadsheet and we'll be uh, tapping into a few more financial reports next week as they as they come out and expect more uh, big 100 content rolling out in, in coming weeks on mass device and medical design and outsourcing. That's awesome. I'm in the process of eating a Milky Way bar, which I confused with a Three Musketeers bar. So I had more caramel than I had anticipated, which hindered my Hindered my ability to podcast. At least it wasn't a Snickers, Tom. At least it wasn't a Snickers. <laughs> You'd be like coughing I up nuts right now. Oh, you got a Snickers. I, I have a Snickers, but I held back. That thing's the best. I, it's got a meal. You got protein in it. It's great. But it had caramel. And I'm like, you can't have that. I'll go with the Milky Way. But yeah. duh, it's not a Three Musketeers. Anyway, Danielle looks horrified. Yes. All right. Well, that's a great wrap up. Great. <laughs> Sorry. I thought you was a loud <laughs> I next like to introduce our closing keynote conversation. I was thrilled to be joined by Vijay Kumar. Vijay Kumar is the managing director at Evacor ISI's healthcare services and technology research team. He came on board the podcast to talk about two things in particular. One, I asked him about Thrive Earlier Detection's acquisition by Exact Sciences for over $2 billion. Then we checked in on Boston Scientific, with which had its quarterly call this week. Uh, Vijay gave us some insights on the call on how Boston and Scientific is doing and what we can expect to happen as COVID cases rise. Let's listen. Well, Vijay Kumar, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Tom. So I know this is a thick and earning season and you're busy as heck. So I appreciate you're taking a few minutes to uh, to hit upon some of the, the bigger or some of the big news of the week, whether it's bigger or not, I guess it's my perception. But uh, one uh, one deal I wanted to talk about was Exact Science's ac- uh, acquisition of Thrive Earlier Detection. Uh, two interesting companies. I know Exact had a, an interest in, in Thrive earlier, but uh, was this uh, was this acquisition a, a surprise? I don't think, um, you know, uh, the idea that uh, Exact uh, was getting into uh, liquid biopsy in and of itself was a huge surprise. Uh, perhaps uh, what was um, uh, maybe a little bit surprising was uh, the size of the transaction, right? This mm-hmm. is a, a large one. And, uh, you know, this is uh, slightly different from what Exact does, right? Uh, Exact specializes in uh, single cancer screening, you know, uh, to be specific colorectal cancer. Uh, and now Thrive is looking at many cancers in a single uh, blood draw. So perhaps, uh, you know, that shift from a single cancer to a multi-cancer and the size of the transaction mm-hmm. uh, was, uh, you know, uh, what I would say was surprising. But uh, in and of itself, I think at some point, you know, people expected exact again to liquid biopsy, uh, blood-based testing uh, for cancer. So uh, in that sense, it wasn't a surprise. 
So is it uh, then, it, it sounds then as if, as if it's a, uh, an acquisition that can be integrated rather easily. It's not, a, it's not a completely different line of business or culture or things like that that has to be brought in. It's something that uh, Exact can, can assimilate easily. There's some elements which can be, right? Because uh, your primary customer or uh, end user uh, will be the physician, primary care physician. And if you do have a sales force, uh, channel presence, uh, you know, a brand awareness amongst general uh, physicians, GPs. You know, I think all of those elements help. So there's certainly uh, channel synergies from that angle. I think the other aspects which we generally don't talk about when it comes to devices or diagnostics is uh, all the backend elements, mm-hmm. right, in terms of uh, what kind of uh, support personnel do you have, service uh, organization do you have to help uh, GPs navigate that reimbursement landscape, whether these results need to be uh, integrated with EMRs. I think uh, those are all uh, areas where uh, exact should really uh, speed up the process. But I think uh, in terms of the actual science itself, right, I mean, that that is, uh, you know, these things will uh, march uh, to the tune of science. Uh, you can't force, uh, you know, how quick uh, innovation happens. It happens at its own pace. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is uh, why, uh, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll need this big randomized trials to see what the data uh, will show. Absolutely. And, 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 uh, and with it, Thrive would, I imagine, come with a lot of capital. Eh? They had raised a few large run, rounds. I don't believe they would have gone through their, their most recent one just yet. Yeah, no, for sure. I think <laughs> this, uh, it, it's a big boys game, right? I mean, if you're thinking about, uh, in general, diagnostic landscape, right? We, we were thinking about uh, in infectious disease testing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when we looked at cancer testing, this is more for diagnosing or perhaps uh, informing therapy uh, selection. That's where you know pl- uh, companies were uh, focused on, and those are all areas where uh, you could you could perhaps uh, have an LDT pathway. You didn't need to run a large randomized trial. You could still get away with uh, minimal investment from an R and D perspective. But now, uh, you know, when you look at these screening markets, right? You need an FDA approval. You need to go get in front of the uh, the USPSTF, and these sample sizes are astronomical, right? You're looking at 50 to 100,000 enrollees in these trials. So that requires a significant amount of capital. Um, uh, and for sure, I think exact, you know, balance sheet strength should certainly help, uh, you know, uh, in, in uh, making those necessary investments. Interesting. And just more broadly, we saw the Grail Illumina deal earlier this year. Uh, what does this acquisition mean for the, the liquid biopsy space? Is this, uh, I mean, is it settling in? We, we know who the leaders are going to be. How do you, how do you view the larger, the larger space? I think uh, we're still a little too early to uh, call who might win. Uh, mm-hmm. We still don't know what the goalposts are, right? I mean, forget <laughs> uh, right? I mean, the CMS just came up with NCD guidelines for uh, colorectal cancer screening, right? Now we can try to extrapolate uh, what it means for a pan cancer, multi cancer screening. But I think at this stage of the game, we have more questions than answer. I think that's a reasonable conclusion. And and look, I mean, I I don't think uh, it has to be a one player take all kind of market, right? If these markets are really as big, and if you're thinking about screening, it's uh, people like you and me, you know, instead of uh, you know going for an annual uh, perhaps uh, imaging study, I know we could have a blood draw, right? So the market is big enough to support you know multiple players. It doesn't have to be. You know, Grail, Illumina versus Exact at this point, and it, and it certainly is is uh, is synergistic with uh, a desire of folks not to go into hospitals if they if they don't need to. And and sort of to that point, 
we had Boston Scientific squirrely call this week. They had a, uh, a rough second quarter uh, due to uh, decrease in, in treatments due to, to people just through COVID wanting to stay home and not wanting to go to the hospital. This week's report was, was a bit better. What was your overall assessment of uh, Boston Scientific's uh, Q3 performance? It was good. Uh, you know, I think uh, relative to expectations, uh, it was a respectable print. Uh, you know, we, we've seen uh, a result from J&J and Abbott. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boston was right up there, uh, uh, their peers. Um, so uh, it was good to see a clean print uh, from the company. I think uh, some of the questions uh, which people had was uh, they had some negative headline trial news come out for their scope to trial at TCT a couple of weeks ago. What does it mean to Boston's Tower franchise for next year? You know, that, you know, should be balanced against the positives, right? I think uh, the company is feeling incrementally more uh, positive bullish uh, around Watchman uh, device for prevention of stroke in uh, AF patients. I think that's going to be an exciting, huge market where Boston has a lead. And they have a ton of, uh, you know, um, new products coming in within their peripheral uh, business, uh, PI, you know, uh, Alluvia, Sten, I think uh, could be interesting. That market is showing signs of re-emerging from the depths we saw earlier this year. Um, so there are some positives. There are some questions. But the overall uh, takeaway was uh, uh, this is uh, exactly what we wanted to see. And, uh, you know, those numbers were fine. And they're really looking to be, they want to really grow aggressively. And I think outgrow their 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 peers. Uh, is that something that, that you see them then being able to do? Some of this is uh, just a scale mm. uh, issue, right? So, uh, Boston scale is much smaller than someone like uh, Metro or, or uh, Abbott. So I think... Uh, a smaller product, incremental 50 to 100 million of revenues moves the needle uh, for Boston. With that said, right, there is a cultural element. I think Boston historically has prided uh, themselves in uh, executing on sales. So uh, if the industry grows for the device uh, industry, you know, you're looking at five to six as, as uh, the industry average. I don't think it's a stretch uh, to see Boston do a bow, uh, you know, a point or two about uh, the industry over the next five years. Right. And and one point that came up during the call, and it wasn't your question, but it just intrigued me. There was a, a discussion about M&A and about the, the, the fact that companies are going public and that is driving up the costs of, uh, of potential costs of, of acquisition and whether that could slow growth by preventing you from bringing in new high growth products. Is that something, uh, I wasn't quite sure where that came from. I thought it was an interesting question. I thought that the Thrive acquisition certainly illustrated, underlined the, the fact that things can be very expensive. But do you see IPOs and rising valuations sort of eating into the ability of larger companies like Boston being able to acquire and grow? Uh, good, good question. I, and I think it depends on uh, the end markets in the space, to be honest. There are certain end markets where uh, interest is uh, very high, um, you know, genomics, liquid biopsy, mm-hmm. um, you know, single cell analysis. I think uh, those markets, it, it's going to be pretty hard to find assets uh, in that space. But the broader medical device uh, industry, I don't think that should be an issue unless you have a compelling reason on why your technology is, is a step function change. It's going to be hard because uh, you need uh, you need to build a sales force. I mean, how many new companies can build a sales force in the midst of a pandemic? And how many providers... Uh, will be open to meeting uh, and learning about new products, right? I think there are some structural challenges uh, which are unique uh, to a pandemic environment. So uh, companies will still find assets, uh, but I think you have to be a little bit more perhaps selective. Great. And final quick question. I know you need to go. Uh, how are you f- listening to the calls this week? Uh, how, are, how are companies feeling about 
the the rest of the year as COVID begins to surge again? Are are they? They're not. Sounds like they're not anticipating another Q2. I don't know if it's wishful thinking or if they're actually in a better position than they were six months ago. I mean, the numbers certainly would suggest uh, we're in a much better spot. Mm-hmm. I think first themselves are uh, uh, they've gotten better at uh, you know, managing the pandemic. Some hospitals have gone as far as segregating COVID versus non-COVID hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think uh, overall the system is in a much better uh, shape. Uh, to handle uh, the second layer. But that said, I think uh, there's still so, so many unknowns, right? And I think uh, we're all playing the guessing game. Things could take an ugly turn. Uh, we did see this in uh, uh, Europe, particularly the UK, FTSE EQ, where uh, the second layer was uh, quite, uh, had a quite dramatic impact. Uh, with some some numbers for, for a few of these companies, uh, you know, seeing you know, down 30, 40% revenues, uh, which is, uh, now we're talking about April kind of declines for some of these companies. So uh, that's the fear. As we get into December, is that uh, you know something that, that that we could face here in the U.S.? I think is is a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, for so I think uh, the base case is uh, you should, if if nothing else, three uh, Q trends should sustain in a Q four. Perhaps some modest improvement should be a base case assumption. Great thoughts, and uh, I do appreciate you taking a few minutes this busy week to uh, to join us on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me over, Tom. All right. Well, it was great to uh, visit with Vijay Kumar to have him on the on the podcast first time, and we'll definitely have him back. Now is our opportunity to tell our uh, beloved podcast listeners how they can find us on the social media channels. Danielle Kirsch, why don't you go first? I can be found on Twitter at Danielle underscore Kirsch, K-I-R-S-H, no C, and LinkedIn at same my same name. Did you say no C because I spelled your name wrong once? Is that why? No C because everyone spells everyone spells my name wrong. And Sean, I, I always pronounce your name wrong, so why don't you just say it and uh, and give your social media information? You can find me on Twitter at Sean Hooley, S E A N W H O O L E Y W T W H. That's my Twitter handle, and then Sean Hooley, as again W H O O L E Y on LinkedIn as well. Welcome all followers and connections. Chris Newmarker, if you wouldn't mind providing Nancy Crotty's information. Sure, absolutely. You can, uh, you know, find uh, Nancy on LinkedIn, Nancy Crotty, C-R-O-T-T-I. And she's also on Twitter at uh, N Crotty. And you can find me uh, on LinkedIn as well, Chris Newmarker, just like a new marker. And uh, my Twitter handles at Newmarker. So always, always happy to, to uh, make new connections and find out more uh, cool things going on in our industry. And I am uh, Tom Salemi at LinkedIn, on LinkedIn. And you can find me on Twitter at MedTech Tom. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks, everybody, for uh, for joining us on this Wicked Large podcast. And uh, it's been great to have the team involved. And uh, we'll definitely uh, look forward to having you all back. And uh, thanks to our uh, Device Talks weekly podcast listeners for joining us. As I said, we'll have, uh, we hope to have the principles of the Intuitive Surgical's new venture fund on next week. And uh, another surprise, another uh, senior executive from uh, one of the largest MedTech's in the world. So uh, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you, uh, if you do subscribe, you do get this podcast delivered directly to your listening device. You don't have to wait for us to post it on Mass Device or on our social media channels. So why not be first? But you can also find it on Mass Device. And of course, we'll be posting it on LinkedIn if folks like yourself share it. So uh, please do share this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues. We'd love to have more people listening. And of course, again, tune in next week. We'll have another great episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast for you. See you soon. Don't turn into a werewolf.